Hello, welcome to the Transform Podcast. I have an awesome guest here that it's his second time with us, Dr. Phil Barnard. Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. And today we're just going to tackle one of life's most difficult questions. So you ready for that, Phil? Always. Let's do it. All right. That question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, so I think I just wanted to frame this question and get real about it because mm -hmm. I think you can answer this in a very theoretical fashion or you can get down with the nitty gritty experiences of life. And I think for me, um, there's been some things happening in my experience or in my world with people I know, and then I'll get to my own life. But I guess, so my child dies one week after they are born. This is more than I can handle. Okay, so we're getting real right off the bat. Um, and then there's a, another a friend of mine who, um, you know, after she gave birth, uh, not only that happened, but then she bled so much that she almost lost her own life. And, and by God's grace, she received blood to keep her life and to restore her life. Um, I know another a friend that has experienced infertility for her whole life. They finally made the decision to adopt. Uh, she was placed with a birth mother. Uh, the birth mother gave birth. She was blessed to take the baby home. But then after a week, the birth mother decides to take the baby back. So you can ask a lot of questions. Don't you think like if that it's happened, difficult. you probably had a lot of questions to yeah. ask. Like, why did that happen? Yeah. Um, another friend of mine, uh, she is kind of in her 40s. Uh, she also experienced infertility. Um, but then God allowed her to get pregnant really late in her life. She thought it must be like a miracle, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but she had a quick miscarriage. Um, so then she was this big emotional high and then, uh, and then everything, um, you know, kind of went down. Also, I think one of the ones that people struggle with a lot is mental illness. Mm -hmm. Like if there's someone in your family with a mental illness, it's, it's a constant struggle, constant battle. You don't know why it's, it's almost unbearable, you know, to overcome. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, and then I'll just shift to my life, you know, so mm -hmm. we talked about a lot of people, you know, um, anonymously uh, here I'll just talk about me uh, so I had two friends commit suicide um, growing up and then so that was definitely heavy um, a close friend who I knew for my whole childhood my whole teenage life uh, what, he's now homeless and addicted to heroin and then many of my friends back home uh, still struggle with some sort of addiction mm -hmm. or some sort of substance abuse that's hard for them to mm -hmm. overcome. Maybe they're sober now, but they had to go through it. Um, so I guess I'll just pause there and just say, like, suffering is real, mm -hmm. right, Phil? So it's not just this abstract question that selfish people are asking, right? But I think it's a, a real question that is a really good one about this life. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm glad that you went there first because, you know, it can seem like a heady philosophical question, but people ask it at the hardest of times when there's genuine suffering. Um, and we need to be compassionate to that and thoughtful towards that and, and not just give a philosophical response. We need to give a compassionate, heartfelt response as well. Absolutely. And we hope that if you're listening right now and you're going through suffering or a hard time or something that's unbearable, we hope that in some way this podcast ministers to you during this season of your life. Um, 
Now, Phil, I want to ask you this question. I think embedded in this question is also, you know, why does someone else's sin have to impact me? So in other words, the Christian worldview is bad things happen to us because the world has fallen. Uh, we lost perfection and uh, perfect relationship with God, mm -hmm. but now we're fallen out of that. So everything is subject to decay and suffering and imperfection and a lot of bad things can happen. But the, the Christian worldview does start with our first parents, our first human beings, uh, the first human beings that w were created, mm -hmm. rebelling mm -hmm. against God and being separated from Him and losing that harmony. So the Christian worldview says there's a lack of harmony in this world, so you're going to experience bad things. Mm -hmm. However, Phil, why does someone else's sin have to impact me? Like Adam and Eve, they obviously screwed everything up. But why does it have to affect my life if I'm you know, doing my best? Yeah, Andrew, I think that's a, a, it's a good point, but just if we think behind that a little bit, about the presuppositions that come with that question. It's quite individualistic, which is quite mm -hmm. um, apt in the West. We, we tend to think that we are islands and individuals and that we don't actually impact or are connected to other people very much. And a lot of other cultures don't have that in the East or Southern cultures where they understand that we are really connected with each other. What we do influences other people and we are vulnerable to other people's decisions. Likewise, we're we, we can rejoice when we get the good things from other people, like our parents worked really hard and uh, left us a great big house in the will or something like that. We seem to celebrate that we can get the positive rewards from our connections with other people, but when we get the negative consequences, we want to push back and go, I shouldn't get that. And I'm not always sure that we can have both. Okay. You know, if we're going so, to be connected to other people, <laughs> we need to kind of take the good with the bad sometimes, okay. I think. That'd be my initial thought. All right. And understand that you know our culture thinks we're individuals and islands, but we we really aren't. We are connected to each other quite All right. intimately. All right, so that's a really interesting way you put that. So in other words, we we like ripple effects that are positive and good when they suit us. We don't like a negative ripple effect, such as the fact that we are as a humanity fallen out of a relationship with God. And I think we see this negative ripple effect all of the time. So mm -hmm. if you're listening and you object to the Christian doctrine of sin spreading to humanity through Adam and Eve. Um, I think that uh, we can state several examples that show uh, a negative ripple effect that we do have to embrace. And I think, you know, first one could be like marriage. So if there is uh, a sinful divorce and there's division, that can have a ripple effect on mm -hmm. many others. Um, if there is abuse in a family, that can have a ripple effect on many others, sometimes for generations. Mm -hmm. um, organizations, uh, a business, a nonprofit, if there is corruption or if there is immorality, that can have a ripple effect for mm -hmm. many years sometimes. Uh, and then also, I think just to bring it down to something on a, a smaller scale would be just a sports team. You know, like if the captain comes to practice with a bad attitude, that can have a it'll, significant it'll flow out. impact on the whole practice. Um, so we are all connected. Sin impacts all of us. The world is fallen out of a perfect and harmonious relationship with God. And so the Christian worldview starts there. Mm -hmm. um, but now I want to come back to you with another question, Phil, and that would be this. Um, 
Now, I want to, you might have to help me on this part, do it like a little pause and come back to it. I want to, I want you to unpack the question that we're asking a little bit. Sure. If God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? What are the presuppositions behind that question? Yeah, and it seems like a great question on the surface. If God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? But when I think about that, and we can go a little bit more heady at the moment, you think, if God is good, what do we mean by good? Uh, does that mean that he only does things that we like? Does he, he only does things that we find enjoyable or that we're happy with? Is that really what a good God is, that it's kind of based on my whims and my feelings? And then we go, why do bad things happen? Well, what are bad things? Are they just things we don't like? that hurt us or make us uncomfortable? Um, is there a potential for something that we think is bad to actually be good? We just don't have a great perspective on it. And then to good people, what's, what's, what's a good person? Is that people that I like, people who are nice to me, people who follow the rules, people who follow the laws? Is it people who look like me and dress like me? Uh, is it children? Like what is, it, what is a good person? To even ask if God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? dives into all these kind of assumptions of what we think good and bad is. Mm -hmm. um, which is not a terrible thing. I think it's just something we need to be aware of as we walk into this conversation. That's really good. And I would say this. Two weeks ago, if, uh, if you were listening, uh, Matt Walton and I teamed up to talk about uh, sin and the idea that no one is good. Mm -hmm. So before a holy God, no one exactly. is good. Uh, and so we talked about that and we unpacked it and we talked about how before a holy God, we, we have all kinds of disordered loves. We have all kinds mm -hmm. of idols we exalt in our lives. Um, and so we have all of, these, all of these idols, all of these things we're putting in the place of God. Um, and so this is uh, impacting our relationship with God. And then we walk through each of the Ten Commandments and we found that they're like big umbrellas that are covering mm -hmm. all sorts of sin in our lives. And so what we concluded is, what the scriptures teach is that no one is actually good before a holy God. Yeah. And so I think we have to, uh, you know, kind of nail down the presuppositions behind this question. Yeah. And I think that as someone who believes this and has embraced this, I'm like, yeah, I mean, why, why do I think I am entitled to something <laughs> else? Yeah, you know? almost flip the question, why do good things happen to bad people? I'm like, if I'm, if I'm actually a sinner, but I have all these good things in my life, what did, why is that even happening? Okay, so the question can be flipped as a, well. A little bit sometimes. I think if I yeah. want to take a humble approach, I want to be thankful for all the good things. If I, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm not the greatest person in the world, but good things keep on happening. Yeah. Just another question. All right, so thank you for tackling that, Phil. And the, and the next place that I want to go is, I believe that we have to accept and embrace this fallen world mm -hmm. that will have suffering. So it's gonna have it. And I think if we enter this life where we're being taught that it's not gonna happen, we're setting ourselves up with really messed up expectations. Yeah. <laughs> right? So God wants us to know on this earth, there's gonna be suffering and, and we're gonna to get to the purpose of that. Uh, but Tim Keller actually in his book, uh, which you actually brought today, what's yep. the title of the book? Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Walking with God Through it's Pain and excellent Suffering. Excellent read. Yeah, excellent read. It starts out pretty he heady, but then it gets uh, really strong on the application, mm -hmm, would mm -hmm. you say? Yeah. Uh, all right. I remember I gave it to a friend that was in Montana once, and he's like, man, I need a lot of coffee to start this. 
Tim Keller gets intellectual pretty quick, but the second half is gold. The pastoral side comes out in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a great quote from the book. He says, one of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of our affliction. And Tim Keller was Mm -hmm. very much inspired by none other than Mm C.S. Lewis, who has this famous quote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. So he is going to use those times, if we would allow it, Mm -hmm. for our growth, for our refinement. And we see this with people like Joseph, Job, Paul in the Bible. So uh, Joseph experienced... Uh, rejection and extreme betrayal from his brothers. Job had the loss of family, uh, loved ones. Paul had constant, endless suffering and persecution, which seemed to never end. Um, But yet all of them are examples of people of God who grew a lot through adversity and they're heroes of humanity and heroes of our faith. And so when I think about this, Phil, what I would say is this. It's like, if all we had was the pleasures, if all we had was the good stuff, it could lead to hedonism or Mm -hmm. uh, nihilism. Hedonism is the philosophy that we are just on this earth to have as much pleasure as possible before we die. We may as well well retire at as young of an age as possible, go on cruises every weekend, and then have a bucket list because we're going to die and rot in the ground, so let's get it done. And then nihilism would be, there's no meaning to life. So if there's no meaning, then I better enjoy as much good as possible. But I think when we think about that kind of a life and what we're really after there, um, we can go off of the deep end in terms of purpose and meaning, right? But on the flip side, when we go through the suffering, when we go through the pain, God wants to use that to draw us near to him and grow our character and grow us in the midst of the suffering. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Phil? Yeah, I think, I think you're correct there that it, the, most of us who have gone through suffering and pain would recognize that our greatest growth came through that season. Um, and in fact, if we think about it, we're even willing to, if you're, say, a parent, we're willing to inflict a, a certain amount of pain on other people, small people, our children, in order to help them grow into the kind of person we want them to grow into. I think right. if one of my children is being selfish with their toys and throwing a tantrum and complaining, they might lose their toy for a couple of hours. And that is me actively inflicting pain on that child. They are gonna hurt without their toy. Uh, but I know that a couple of hours without a toy is actually setting them up to win in the long run because if they grow into adults who are selfish and throw tantrums every time they don't get anything, like the suffering that that's gonna bring is gonna be far greater than a couple of hours without a toy. So I think we just keep in mind that God uses pain to grow us um, and we need to be comfortable with that because we use pain to grow other people. Hmm. Yeah, that's really profound. And I guess I would say then we must embrace pain and suffering is an opportunity to, t- to draw near to God because we can choose to go away from him during those bad seasons. Yeah, People do it all the time. Or we can say, all right, how am I going to draw nearer to my creator? How am I going to grow? Who am I gonna become in this process? Yeah. So I think that's huge. And, and I guess as we reflect too, it's like um, everyone I know that has like um, that are just kind of living it up to the extreme max. I'd say they're the, 
they are the least empathetic yeah. to other people's suffering in this life too. Yeah. Have you noticed that or is it just me? No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and people that have gone through trials and circumstances become more compassionate and more empathetic and caring. Um, I know I have through after my trials that I've been through, like you, and then you, you lean in and you can become a servant to somebody else who are going through difficult things. That seems to be how God does it a lot. Okay. He heals our pain, but he also uses us to heal other people's pain. Wow. It's that connectedness thing again. All right. So, and, and that's a huge thing that he utilizes is our, the gift of connection, the gift yeah. of community. If you're listening and you don't have uh, a community with meaningful connection. We want to invite you to pray for it and seek it. It's a big part of life. Um, and then God uses the healing he uh, experiences in our lives so that we would also share that blessing mm -hmm. and healing with other people. Um, so that's a great point that you're mm -hmm. making. Uh, Phil, I want to ask you this question. So I think there is an assumption behind the question too, that there can't be any meaningful purpose behind our suffering. Are there some assumptions there that we have when we ask the question in that fashion? Yeah, I think that, that question lends itself to us thinking, if I can't see the reason behind this suffering, there mustn't be one. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's not the most humble of approaches to things. And I kind of think if, if you hear, okay, so you hear a situation of a man in a basement somewhere about to take a sharp object to a child and cut them open and make them bleed. Um, and that's all the information you have and you go running in there to save that child and protect them. You think you've done the right thing until you find out that the man's actually a surgeon in the basement of a hospital about to perform a life-saving operation. Um, and you realize that short amount of pain that he was going to cause that child or she was going to cause that child um, is actually for that child's benefit. And, but you didn't have all the information to start off with. You made an assumption based on limited knowledge. And I think we need to consider that there's pain in this world that we don't have enough knowledge about in order to determine whether it's good or bad. Hmm. Uh, and if we've got a God big enough to get angry at for not stopping the pain, then perhaps he's big enough to have a reason beyond what we think. Mm -hmm. I think we need to allow him that space to actually know more than we do about the purpose of pain. All right. So what you're saying is God is omnipotent, which mm -hmm. means he's all powerful. Mm -hmm. God is omniscient, which mm -hmm. means he knows everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so we believe in a God that created this entire universe by speaking. So what you're saying is that God may know and have information that we don't. It's probably possible that he, he knows a thing or two that we don't. Right. So I think we do have to embrace that. Yeah. Because I think we, we assume that there's nothing meaningful that can come out of this. Uh, we assume that he's bad for allowing this. Yeah. Uh, but then I think we have to, we have to embrace what we're, what we're saying about there's a higher power. Yeah. And if he is a higher power, then he's higher. Yeah. And he knows more uh, than we do. Like a thought on that. How many times if your child has scratched themselves and you want to bring them in and you want to wash it down with water and clean it up and you know that's going to hurt. That's going to sting like anything for that little kiddo. And they're telling you to stop. Stop this, stop this, stop this. And you're just saying, just trust me. It's going to get better. Just trust me. Because you know that 10 seconds of pain on that graze on the knee is going to make it heal and get better. Yeah. And what you're asking from the child is actually trust. It's like, I have information that you don't have. Yeah. And this might seem painful right now and it's going to be difficult. 
but trust me, I love you, I care about you, and I'm going to get you through this. I think maybe that's the approach we should take with God more often. It's like, we want to tell him to stop, stop the pain. And I think he's just saying, just trust me a little bit longer. Yeah. I know what's good for you. And sometimes I would say if you're listening, you're going to get an answer in this life. After the season of mm-hmm. pain and suffering's over, you can see outcomes, you can see growth. But then everybody gets an answer in the next life when we meet Jesus face to face. Absolutely. Um, and so we, we, we need to keep that all in mind. And then let's go to Jesus. So why do good things happen? Or yeah, why do good things happen to bad people? But then I think with Jesus, it's like, why does the worst thing on possible happen to the best pers- person that ever lived? Mm-hmm. So we believe Jesus is sinless, mm-hmm. he's perfect, mm-hmm. he's God, mm-hmm. yet he was reject- rejected he was scourged with excruciating pain from Roman soldiers with mm-hmm. whips, with uh, metal at the end of their whip where he was scourged uh, and bled almost to death prior to the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And then he's nailed to suffocate on a cross in public humiliation, yep. which was the death penalty utilized for criminals, mm-hmm. but yet he was sinless and perfect. And so, wrong. so why does... A horrible thing happened to a good person like Jesus Christ. And I think that God is giving us a framework uh, for uh, suffering. God is giving us a framework for how he's going to restore our relationship with God. Um, But I think the place where I wanted to go next, based on Jesus, is this. If we are on this earth, Phil and we think that the purpose of life is just happiness, suffering is going to interrupt that. Mm -hmm. But if we believe that we're living for meaning, that there's a meaningful reason why we're here, that there's a purpose for why we're here, then I think suffering is not just this unwelcome interruption, but it can be used for the purpose of why we're here on this earth. Mm -hmm. And the Christian worldview states that we are here to become like Jesus. Now, let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So we're made to reflect God, mm-hmm. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, we fall and we lose that ability to reflect him. Jesus is our Savior. He comes to restore our relationship with God. And then when we follow him, we start to become like him in his character and, and, and growing and refining to become more and more like him in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and in humility and forgiving others. Mm-hmm. So he even forgives his enemies as they're crucifying him. On the him. cross. Yep. So when you think about life as living for meaning to become like Jesus, man, I just wish everybody would know that up, you know, and, and receive that revelation and truth from God because it sets you up for a great meaningful existence on this earth rather than one that's doomed to failure. Any thoughts to piggyback on any of that? Phil? Yeah, I, I agree with you that it does give meaning to life. Um, but also it, pain was God's mechanism for reconciling us. Mm-hmm. He allowed Jesus to be inflicted on pain for the greater purpose of redemption. Uh, And if Jesus had said Hmm. at the cross, no, I don't want this. Yeah. And and if he avoided the pain, well, where would we all be? Yeah. We'd still be stuck in our sin. We would be separated from God eternally. 
Um, so God, it was, it was his idea. It was his, yeah, it was his idea to use that pain to restore a greater purpose, which was reconciliation. And yeah. I know I'm thankful for that. Yeah. So we can grow through our pain, but then I think you're bringing up the most important point is that Jesus eliminates the worst kind of suffering of them all. Yeah, absolutely. Which is losing access to God. Yeah. And from the book we mentioned earlier, Tim Keller also has this great quote. He says this, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you, and that is being cast away from God. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would go back to that question we asked earlier. Why do good things happen to bad people like us? Namely, restoration. Yeah. So through what Jesus suffered and his pain, it restores bad people like us to God who don't deserve that either. Because he is that good. The question is, how can he be good? He is that good that that's what he decided to do. Right. So I think there's ways to flip this question too, right? Yeah. Why do bad things happen to good people? But then, hey, we're all bad. And yet someone like Jesus, a good thing is given to us Mm -hmm. as a gift to restore us to God. Yep. And that's awesome. All right. Well, I think we need to flesh it out a little bit more, though. Okay, so we're going to become like Jesus. That's not only in this life, is it, Phil? What's going to happen for the believer in the next life? Yeah, well, I love the promise of God because he's going to make all things new for us. He's reconciling us to himself. Um, He's going to give us a new body and we get to see him face to face. And, you know, first John talks about perfect love casts out all fear. And I think that's a beautiful thought that when we finally get to see him face to face, his love casts out all our fear, which I think will be a a pretty special moment. Um, But then there's also the promise that he'll wipe away every tear. Mm, I love that. Like in, in the eternity to come with God, there will be no more pain, no more suffering. No more questioning why we get to see it. We'll have full knowledge of him. Yeah. And I think we'll then start to see, oh, now this starts to make sense. Yeah. Now I know why we needed to go through what we went through. Mm-hmm. And that now pales in comparison to the glory that we'll see in front of us. So okay. it's a wonderful hope. It's a wonderful promise. Yes. So what you're saying is the sufferings of this present time pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed. They're going to be just nothing. It's, it's going to be like yeah. when your mum or dad just washed some water on your grey's knee. Yeah. It's going to feel like that. It was over in seconds and yeah. compared to the glory to come. So this life is preparation. Mm-hmm. This life is not the fulfillment. It's not it. No. This life is preparation for what you've just described as the new creation. Yes. Revelation chapter 21. No more death. No more mourning. No more tears. And What a great hope this is to live with right now. I was just in the community room here at St. John's and there was a group of women that were mourning and grieving. They had just lost a friend to cancer. And they were all there. They were crying because there is physical loss at death. So we don't want to uh, think that that's just, you know, know, something that people should just get over. No, that's a physical loss. Um, That's death. But then... Just something drew me to say, you need to go over there and pray with them and share that hope. And and then they also were so encouraging to me because they were also 
living not just with grief, but they were living with hope too. Mm -hmm. And then we prayed together and we were able to put into words what you just said, Phil, which is a living hope now, even in the midst of this great pain and suffering, namely death, we have a hope that that's not the last thing that we're going to experience in this yeah. life. You know, so if I was an atheist, I would say, man, there's no purpose to all this. There's no hope or outcome that I can have. But Christianity is different from other worldviews. Many worldviews state uh, that this life is joyful and the next life will be sorrowful. But Christianity says, this life you embrace the sorrows mm -hmm. while you anticipate the coming joys. That's True. Christianity. Yeah. So we're not worried about some crazy reincarnation that's going to happen. <laughs> rather, rather, we're looking forward to resurrection. Absolutely. Resurrection and life. Um, Tim Keller also has this great quote from the book. Just got to have a third uh, one. Gotta love him. You know, it's really funny. You came with the book and I already had three quotes from it. <laughs> he, he's brilliant. So that's he's, the Holy Spirit bringing us together. He yeah. is. He, he says, resurrection is not just consolation. It is restoration. Mm -hmm. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life, but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. Mm -hmm. So there's a purpose to this life. We're going to become like Jesus for real, like mm -hmm. when we see him face to face. And then I want to throw this in just to kind of wrap it up. For those who have experienced wrongdoing and are victims of great evil in this life, mm -hmm. it's not only consolation, but it's justice. Mm -hmm. Which is important. So God is just too here. Yeah. And there will be justice yeah. for those who have caused great evil to other people in this life. Um, and that is an attribute of God that also we need to embrace too. So thank you for tuning in today. So grateful that you uh, tuned into this podcast. Uh, if you were blessed in any way by this, we want to encourage you to share it, especially with someone who's going through a tough season or is suffering. We hope that this ministered to you. If you do have a question you'd like us to answer on this podcast, you can do so at hello at sjdenver.org. And we'll see you next time.